Hello, everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don, as usual. Today, we're going to be talking about personal responsibility. This is something that has become something of like a trope that people on YouTube and on podcasts and stuff kind of discuss in different ways. Some people build their whole brand and their whole thing around it. Uh, you know, there's people like Jordan Peterson that famously had the whole clean your room thing. Uh, people like Jocko Willink, who kind of takes this sort of like ex-military approach to it of like bringing the military discipline into your life and that kind of thing. So it's kind of interesting to me. Um, I think there's actually a lot of positive and like beneficial stuff that is uh, conveyed in these things. Uh, there's also a lot of backlash, though, that... Some of the criticism is valid, I think. Some of it is a little bit less so. And it's just sort of interesting how it's kind of played out in this kind of political way where there's like a left-wing sensibility towards it and a right-wing sensibility towards it. And I think they both kind of miss the mark in terms of like what's a good approach for the typical person. So um, yeah, we'll be discussing that a little bit. And then Don had some ideas about how that actually relates to policy and things like that. So I guess to start us off here, I will explain what I mean by the whole left wing, right wing thing. So um, you typically see this kind of messaging coming from people on the right, right? Like I mentioned, yeah. Jordan Peterson and like Jocko Willink, I guess you could kind of put closer to the right wing side of things. I don't really know what his whole deal is, to be honest, but let's assume that he's on the right uh, in some sense. And um you know, the idea of personal responsibility kind of neatly fits in with some of the attitudes around things like welfare and like individualism and stuff like that that gets promoted as like a right wing thing where, you know, you shouldn't depend on other people. You need to kind of take care of yourself. And that sort of plays out in this right wing politics where it's like, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's not my responsibility to take care of people who are poor or to, you know, like it, what I do for me is, is should be mine, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course, like the, the left wing tends to, the, the left tends to push back on this, right? Like they're, uh, for precisely the reasons that the right wing kind of, uh, likes to use these ideas, the, the left criticizes them and kind of, reacts to them as if they're like inherently right-wing as if they're inherently like anti-working class or just anti, you know, like, you know, like they're pro-capitalist in, in some sort of fundamental way. And I think that's a little bit off base. Like I definitely agree with the criticism of the politicization of it on the right-wing side. Like I yeah. think that it's, it's not a good thing to kind of use these ideas to advocate against like social programs and uh, you know that kind of stuff or, or sure. like defending the ultra rich or whatever but i think there's also something to be said for you know whether it's because we just live in a capitalist society and it's just kind of is what it is and you know part of that means like adopting uh, some measure of self-sufficiency and individual responsibility and all that kind of stuff. Or if it's just like a universal thing that that's just like a good quality to have, to be able to take care of yourself and to like understand like how to, you know, if you need to get something done or if things aren't going well, how to take care of that and you know, all that kind of stuff. I think that there's something to be said for just that being a positive quality to 
develop for yourself, you know, and, and it doesn't need to be this like politicized thing where your approach to it or your ideas about it are somehow reflective of your politics. And that's basically all that it's really about. You know, I, I think yeah. that you can, you can like uphold these kind of values and it doesn't need to become this political kind of thing, or it can be, it can be a political thing, but it can be like in a more positive sort of way. Like it doesn't have to just slot into these, you know, left or right camp sort of thing. It can, it can just be something that exists in your politics in a, in a positive way without necessarily being like this mud slinging back and forth kind of a thing. Yeah. It could be something like, uh, looking at a way to flourish as an individual or something, or like to, to improve yourself in a way that lets you help others more or something like that too, or something. It's not, doesn't have to be necessarily this, uh, um, you know, individualist way of looking at it too. It can also be kind of like, what is my participation in this bigger system? How can I develop myself as a person and things like that? Yeah, I, I get that. I should say that, that, that like most of my life, none of this really made sense to me in terms of personal responsibility and all that because I had a very, very social, like sociological kind of view of this kind of stuff where it's like you can either do something or you can't. And if you're not doing it, it's because you can't kind of thing like that. Those are a very, very simple way of looking at it. But, it, but you know, especially when it comes to stuff like, you know, if you're looking at the extremes of individual behavior. Uh, as reasons why people shouldn't be able to access certain programs or some of that. Like, you know, if they're like, well, we should drug test people on welfare because if, you know, they shouldn't be taking drugs if they're on welfare or some of that. That's the kind of, that's the kind of policy debate that ended up sort of floating around in the news. So for me, I'm like, well, you know, that's not, no one would make that choice. So it's obviously not a choice or some of that kind of thing. But there is that like gray area where, it's not that extreme. Like it's not that sociological. It's much more individual where I do think that there is a lot of wiggle room for a lot of people. I think, I think that for me personally, I find it hard to relate to in some ways because I always feel like I'm almost like swimming towards the surface or something like really, really hard to, uh, get anything done on a day to day basis. Like I always feel very, very swamped with everything. And I feel like it's hard for me to negotiate with that. So the idea that like it's because I'm lazy would just seems absurd to me because it's like I'm trying really hard just to do anything kind of thing, right? So I always kind of assume that that's what everyone else must feel like if they're in that situation. And therefore, uh, you know, I, I try to be sympathetic about that. But that's not necessarily the case, I think. I think that there is some wiggle room that you can kind of push for where you can make changes that improve your life or something. So, yeah. Yeah. That actually brings up an interesting thing that maybe we'll discuss later on, which I think a lot of this, the reason it becomes this political issue is because it raises the question of to what extent is there like a collective obligation upon, um, enculturing certain sorts of attitudes and values in people and I think the left and right have very different ideas about that. Even, you know, they both have, they both say, yes, we, you know, like we should do this, but they have different ideas about what those values ought to be and how they ought to be, you know, how that should be implemented and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, the, the drugs thing is a, uh, is a good example of this. I think when we're talking about like social policies and stuff like that, because, uh, I think pretty much anyone would say that it's probably 
better for people to not be on drugs regardless of their situation, but especially if they're in a situation where they actually need like assistance of some kind, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, like just like if all other things being equal, do you want them on drugs or not for their own good? You'd probably say no. Um, you know, so there is something to be said for like, well, they're so miserable, they need some sort of escapism and that kind of thing. Or it's just like, you know, it's a form of recreation if they're doing it like in a way that isn't harming themselves or others or, or whatnot. Like, okay, you know, sure. But, you know, there's enough harm that happens from this, like biologically and psychologically and just like in their in their ability to just improve their life, you know, that is probably better if they're not, right? Yeah. But you don't need to approach it from the punitive side of things, right? Like, which is that drug testing thing. It's like, well, if you, if you're making these choices, then you'll be punished by not being allowed to work at that place, you know? And, uh, you know, sometimes it makes sense, right? Like if you're working around heavy machinery and all that kind of stuff, like I've been in situations like that where they did drug tests because they were legally obliged to, but they was a lot of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You don't, you know, don't worry about it. Like you don't really have to, you know what I mean? Like they were very, uh, left you a lot of wiggle room. So yeah, the the drug testing thing, I don't have like an absolute kind of opinion about it. I I think in general, like it's probably better if we get rid of that in most cases, except like where it's obviously like a kind of a necessary thing just for workplace safety and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I think the more interesting stuff to discuss around that is just like, how what's like a healthy way to approach this because i think the right tends to kind of approach it like i said from this like punitive angle and the left kind of kind of approaches it from this like it's funny it's almost like a libertarian sort of thing where it's like if you're not harming anyone just to let people do what they're going to do it's not it's none of your business sort of a thing yeah and i i think that uh maybe it's not necessarily the place of the government or a workplace to make these decisions. But I think at some level we, we should kind of have a, like a, a, a collective decision that's made about how to push people towards the choice that's like better for them, you know, in a way that isn't, yeah. isn't punitive, isn't, uh, isn't condescending. Uh, and I think abandoning that just like outright is, I don't know if that's necessarily the right way to, to go, you know? Sure. Yeah, I think that it's a it's a difficult question though in, in some ways because you know, in the in the sociological way of looking at things a lot of the time, it's just like you know, you, you end up having this view sometimes where it's like, okay, well, all of these things are basically determined by policy in some ways. Like that's the way that the standard sort of way of viewing it. Therefore, instead of worrying about individuals like how they should behave in different ways, just, you know, give them more money or, or, you know, provide childcare or do whatever, do whatever we need in the material sense to get them where they'll naturally make the right choices or something like that. But I think it, I think it is much more complex than that. Like in, I think that, or at least that that's like a basis for, for action, but then like, uh, how you confront the world as an individual is a much different question. You can't think of yourself in this sociological way where I think it's important to kind of run through that a bit, but you can't think of yourself as uh, wholly determined by your situation or else uh, you're just paralyzed by it. Like that's just, there's no, 
there's there's no way to make progress then because you can just immediately say well you know i have this or that problem therefore i have no you know it's not it's not even like responsibility it's no it's no capability to get better or something there's no capability there to actually fix a problem so that's i think that's that's different than responsibility in some respect in sense because it's like you know it's 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 the responsibility side has like a punitive edge to it in some ways you know that's what people kind of associate with on the left when it's not just it's not just the sort of like individual decision whether or not to do something and then you're punished if you don't do it it's also like a matter of the rewards you get from choosing actions that are better or something like that too right like there's there's positive spin you can put on it so yeah right uh, and i think that's what's lacking right i think there's a lot sure. of for lack of a better term is just like excuse seeking and stuff that you see on the, on the kind of like leftish discourse like I, I hesitate to just call it left because i don't know if it's just necessarily like people who are like avowed leftist like political it's not a political discourse it's just kind of this it's a cultural thing and it's just kind of like yeah. the left culture sort of thing um yeah like you know people will find all kinds of things to kind of find reasons why they don't have to do certain things for themselves and why a lot of times it's people who have some kind of you know either it's just a support system of some kind that they're you know lucky enough to have or they're it goes far beyond that and they're just like straight up like just rich kids you know just like mm -hmm. privileged type people and uh you know they they uh just come up with all these excuses basically to justify why they're in the position they're in it's because they're actually a victim of something and they can't do anything else except like live this sort of lifestyle or whatever and yeah. i don't even care like i don't i don't care if there are people that live like that like i don't have like the some people on the right get really worked up about this. Like when there's people like living like that, that just really eats them up inside for some reason. That doesn't bother me. Um, but if the, if these people were like my friends or something like that, I would want them to like just have a better life. Cause that seems kind of miserable in its own way. Even if sure. you have like a really cushy existence, like it just seems kind of pathetic. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's a, uh that's one reason why I, I look at those, you know, the statistics around it too. It's, it's almost like, uh, it does end up almost becoming absurd to some extent though, because it's like, uh, you know, if the option is between a very low level of, you know, income and all that, and some sort of work and that, that somehow, or, you know, better situation that provides a lot more, um, it's, it's like, it's, it's almost like the economic logic is somehow turned on itself kind of thing, you know, like if it, if it's obviously better that the work is supposed to solve a lot of those other problems and make you better off, then it's like, what is, what is irrational about the situation that is not letting them choose the better option kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's not really about judging people, you know, it's not really about like, yeah figuring out who are the people who aren't fulfilling their hundred percent of their potential or whatever. It's more about like having a, you know, as a, as a person you want, you just want to make the, for yourself, you want to make those decisions to, to be the best that they can be. 
uh, in accordance with your, your goals and like what kind of a life you want to live, you know? So, um, if we kind of go by the standard of like, you know, making more money, having more stuff, having a nicer house, all that kind of stuff means you're doing better than without those things. Then I'm, I'm not meeting my potential. I don't think, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm living pretty like frugally and, uh, but I don't work very hard for it. So I'm happy with that. Like to me, that's like a good trade-off. Um, it's not something that's probably sustainable, but that's, that's, I'm happy doing that for now until a better opportunity comes along. Yeah. Um, but in some cases it's, it's people making decisions that are, it's, it's, there's just, it's not in accordance with those goals. It's just a negative choice. It's like just a bad choice. And it's, be, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this, you know, could be, they're kind of misguided in some way. Like they have things kind of twisted up in their mind about like why they're doing the things they're doing and they can't really see how it's like negatively impacting them or, uh, you know, they, they're, they're just, they're not thinking about it or whatever, you know, they're, they're just kind of going along with things. Like people talk about this with like student debt. There's a stuff, you know, people always used to say, I don't know if they still say this, but like, don't go to college, you know, just go, get some training and get a job and you'll make more money and you won't be in debt and all that kind of stuff. And I think that makes a lot of sense for a lot of people, to be honest. Like, I don't think that's bad advice or anything. Um, but there's a lot of people that kind of just feel like they need to go to college anyways and take on that debt and all that kind of stuff. And that's not always a good choice or whatever, but it, it boils down to even just like little things too, you know, like, uh, like Jordan Peterson's clean your room kind of thing, right? Like, eating right, getting exercise, leaving bad habits, starting good habits, all that kind of stuff. I I think that's really what it kind of comes down to for me. Like, I I think that if you, if you simply go by the logic of like, I'm determined, like I'm a product of my environment, you know, I don't, all I, all my behavior is basically just the result of the things around me. And I have no actual will. Like, it's just, it's all predetermined already. Um, you, uh, then you're definitely going to sell yourself short, you know? So you, you kind of want to exercise your will in a, as most, as much as you can in a way that makes sense for you, you know? know? So you got to figure out your goals and then you figure out what, uh, what your behavior ought to be to meet those goals and then put it into play, uh, put into action, figure out how to do that, I guess. So so like, to me, that's like the real positive and kind of productive element that, is at the core of all this kind of personal responsibility stuff that I actually appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. I think that for a long time, so the way that I kind of, uh, my trajectory on this kind of thing where for many years I started to get like worse sort of mentally. And, uh, what ended up happening was I, I sort of, you know, physically felt a lot of pain trying to do anything just like, you know, which was probably caused by, you know, mental states and stuff, but it just, that was sort of how it affected me. It still does, but like just the, and what happened was uh, I had this sort of convinced thing that, okay, the way that I'll handle this is by throwing myself sort of, you know, into all of the programs that they have, like go to the doctor all the time, go to the, you know, uh, employment, employability sessions and all that kind of stuff, you know, like just talk to people a lot and do that. And then, you know, that kind of, got me through a certain period, but then I had, uh, and the, the idea was, okay, I'll sort of like fix myself through this process. 
and then I'll be able to do what I want to do. Like that's, you know, that's sort of the logic of the treatment plan. And then I got to a certain point about five or six years ago where I started talking to a different therapist and stuff. And um, I was making some progress and stuff like, you know, starting to kind of open up a bit. And uh, she had said to me, you know, very, it, it kind of finally sunk in. I'm sure other people had said this, but she said that like, you can't wait to get better to do these things. You just have to do them and be in pain basically. Right. <laughs> it's not like, you know, you like, it's not like a matter of uh, working through it all and then being like, okay, well now I don't feel pain. I don't have panic attacks all the time, or whatever. I'll be okay with that. And uh, just, just, you know, and so that actually, that sort of process of being like, okay, well, personal responsibility in this situation isn't a matter of, you know, orienting yourself to care and just doing whatever they say kind of thing, like just keep going to it, whatever. It's more a matter of, okay, well, what can I do myself now, assuming it's going to hurt, like assuming it's going to be a problem. And, uh, you know, and that's when I started taking uh, courses at uh, York and uh, university and got into, you know, eventually I was like, okay, my goal is now get into a master's program. And I was able to do that and then finish that, even though that was like difficult. So anyways, that's how I sort of view it now. It's, it's like, you know, you don't have to orient yourself to this position of, okay, well, I fix myself and then I will uh, be able to sort of meet these goals. It's more a matter of, okay, I'll, you know, make step by step, even as I am suffering the problem or something. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I you ever see like a three-legged dog, you know? Yeah. And it's almost like they can't, they don't care that they're missing the leg. Like they're just happy, like, you know, just like any other dog. You know what I mean? Sure. I feel like that's the, <laughs> the mentality. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, okay, that's it. That's where we are. Like what's, so what, what's next? You know, there's sure. this, uh, clip. I think I've shown this to you before, Don. Uh, it's a Jocko Willink clip and uh, it's called good. You can find this on YouTube. And it's it's a really cheesy, like little video clip that they've made out of it. It's really funny, but I I, I actually really like the message in it, which is just like he's he's there. He's so he's like an ex military guy. He was deployed to Iraq and stuff, and now he does this like you know motivational speaker kind of BS stuff. But he's like telling these stories about like you know when something bad happens that your uh, your uh, sergeant or whatever comes up to you and says you know we don't have the equipment for the mission tomorrow and some people really get down on themselves and they're like oh you know all is lost what are we going to do i always tell them the same thing good you know if you don't have the equipment good weather's mm -hmm. going to be real shitty tomorrow good you know and he just kind of goes through this litany of all these different things is like good good cuz good means you know means you're still alive you're still there to fight and you know all that kind of like it's, it's pretty goofy but I, I i the the idea of responding to these things with like all right good you know something bad happened good all right like that yeah, yeah. kind of resonated with me i've always kind of like felt that not in those terms like i never thought about it in that way but the idea of like yeah okay well obviously shit happens like that you know there's no True. point in just like waiting around hoping for something to just kind of fix itself just like the dog you know the three-legged dog 
it could just like sit there and mope and you know maybe something miraculously will happen it gets like a prosthetic someone fixes it up maybe but uh why wait right like just make your best move that's that's the kind of wave i've always thought about is like you can only do your take your best option at any given point in time it doesn't really matter how good or bad the situation is you just take your best option you know you weigh the options and you take the best one and yeah i don't i i kind of think about things that way it's like Sure, you can find excuses. You can uh, come up with all kinds of reasons why you shouldn't do something, but why do that? Why not yeah. instead think about reasons to do, you know, fi- find your best option. F- find reasons for that instead of finding reasons not to do it. You know, I think that's a much yeah. healthier kind of attitude. And yeah. that doesn't that doesn't need to like bring in all this weird like punitive kind of right-wing stuff and it you definitely avoid the kind of like excuse making and stuff when you're thinking about things that way, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That same therapist showed me a clip from uh, Mad TV uh, <laughs> in the office. And um, uh, it was uh, someone at like a, you know, OCD therapy session or whatever, right? And they're going like saying what problems they have. And then uh, Bob Newhart is the guest. And he just, he just, uh, he's like, you know, just, kind and all that at the start and then uh, the second that they say what their symptoms are about like you know repetitive behavior or whatever he uh, yells at them stop and he just goes and they're like what and they're like he goes stop doing it and they're like what are you talking about and then he's just uh, you know and then they she uh, starts you know going oh and then I do this and he's like then stop doing it stop stop <laughs> I don't know like just repetitive and it's funny because it's like uh, you know, it's obviously like you yeah like uh you uh you adapt yourself sometimes to care in a way that like you know you're like okay well i i show up here and then they tell me to do this and then i do that and i do this and instead it's like uh you know at some level the first thing you have to think of is no don't do that (laughs) or something you know like you have to kind of integrate that into your at least is like the initial thing like it's not like you know that has sort of uh, fallen away in terms of, you know, people are so, I don't know, like adapted to certain type of care. And uh, actually, like Lacan, this was one thing that used to drive him crazy um, about psychoanalysis because the way that you're supposed to do it is something like, you know, one hour a day, five times a week or something, you know. And uh, so he uh, he came up with something, I think he called it like the variable session or something or oh, right, yeah. the short session and stuff. And it would be like, you know, it would be like uh, him opening up the door to his office and being like, okay, what's up this week? And then the person like starts talking. He's like, okay, that's enough. Goodbye or something, you know, like just, uh, and he got a lot of, uh, flack for that because, uh, you know, it seems unprofessional and stuff. Still charging like, the full hour and everything. Yeah. And, uh, and the reason why it was because it's like, okay, well, if you know you're going to do this five days a week for an hour a day, it just becomes a process. Like you just end up showing up and doing it five hours, you know, like, you know, five hours a week for eight years or something. And, uh, it really ends up being like a, a strength of wills or something, you know, like eventually you just have to give up and go away and then that's how you're cured. But like, uh, yeah, like, uh, it's very, it, I don't know. That's, that's something I think about a lot about that kind of, you know, how people can get 
sort of stuck in the process because they think that's what's expected of them. So, yeah. Yeah. There's a Hadith that I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, but it goes like trust in God, but tie up your camel. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of a good attitude to have about this stuff. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of things that are outside of your control. And with that, you just trust in God that he will make the right you know, he's going to do the right thing. You know, it may not, may not be the best thing for you, right? Like it may, may mean there's something bad around the corner, but it's out of your control. So, you know, what's on you is what, what's within your realm of control. And, you know, you're, that's what you want to concern yourself with and not definitely don't find excuses to avoid those things or start like you, you want to, uh, you know, you, you want to f- find reasons to do the right thing. You don't want to find reasons why everyone else is doing the wrong thing, you know? Sure. Yeah. Because that, that almost is like this weird, like, mirror image of that kind of thing. It's like on one side, you can make up all kinds of excuses for yourself. But on the other side, you can come up with all these reasons why everyone else is wrong. And in a way that, it, it like, implicitly justifies what you're doing, which sort of is like making an excuse for it. Yeah. You know, because it's not really on its own merits. It's just on the basis that everyone else is wrong that you're doing this. And yeah. maybe maybe this, that might be like a cross-political thing actually. But uh, yeah, so like t- taking personal responsibility for yourself doesn't just mean like having having guts to like just persevere and having discipline or anything like that. It also means like kind of thinking for yourself, like knowing what you want how and figuring out a plan to get there and then putting it into action and stuff and not just, you know, finding, uh, finding some rut that's like a comfortable rut, you know? Sure. Yeah. I, uh, a lot of this stuff ended up, uh, like in political philosophy and the classes I took in it and stuff, it comes up a lot now, like this kind of debate because, uh, like a lot of political philosophers are uh, like in that sort of specialization are egalitarian in different ways. Um, but there was like a lot of debates around what that actually means. And one of the sort of strains that was uh, developed for a while was called like luck egalitarianism. And uh, it's, you know, it's this idea that like uh, inequality is acceptable when it's based on something that you can control. So it's like, you know, if, uh, if, if, you know, you might have a lower income because of racism or something like that, well, that's not acceptable because you can't, uh, you know, you can't choose which race you are or whatever. So that's kind of like the, or like you, you know, you shouldn't have to change what race you are at least, you know, like to, <laughs> to get like the, um, outcome that you want or something. But if it's like, you know, if you had a society where people that work more earn more, then maybe that's some fair in some way or something. So, uh, and then, so people had to like debate around this kind of stuff. Cause it's like, okay, well, yeah, but are you, can you like be unluckily born lazy or something, you know, like, can you be, uh, um, you know, would anyone choose to be the qualities that give them less rewards or something, you know? And, uh, so that's, I don't know. I think that's a kind of an interesting debate because, uh, it's funny because a lot of the, sort of prevailing right-wing ideas around stuff like taxes and all that kind of stuff. Um, G.A. Cohen really writes really well around, around this kind of stuff where it sort of ends up being 
Like they lean on these liberal arguments to defend themselves, even though that the arguments aren't really, you know, they're not really justified within the framework, but it just ends up being the popular way of defending it. Like, you know, the idea that like, uh, okay, well, if you lower taxes and it increases incomes for everyone, then that means it's a optimal solution for society or something, right? So people will defend a lot of right-wing policies based on the idea that like, okay, well, it makes them better off in some other way or something, you know? So I don't know. That's interesting to me because it's like, uh, you know, these compelling arguments, then you kind of think through them and you go, okay, well, how, how does that relate to, you know, actual situations on the ground or something? And it's hard to sort of, you know, suss out or whatever, because I don't know, I always, uh, that does make sense to me at some level, like for lock egalitarianism, like for, you know, if you wanted to build a social society or something, this was like a big, obviously debating point where it's like, okay, well, we can't just give everything free to everyone. So we'll make it so that people have to work and then they get something in return and you, you give them something to, based on what kind of work they contribute or whatever. Right. But like, obviously, you know, the whole, the whole like benefit, I think of Marx's insight on this kind of stuff is that ultimately these things are, get a bit irrational pretty quickly. Like, it's not like, you know, you have to kind of say, well, it's not, it's not that like objectively you should get something in return for work or something. It's more really that like, you know, we're sort of clawing through the dark on this kind of stuff and we have to figure out some way of making society work. And, uh, it's like, you know, we, and so far, uh, in society so far, the way that we've had to do that is make it so that people have some sort of obligation to work for what they get, you know, in some way or another. And, uh, yeah, that's, I don't know. It it ends up being pretty, uh, um, pretty difficult to kind of work through because it's like, uh, you know, it, it ends up being these debates about what's fair, but it's not really about fairness at the end of the day, because it's like, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's just like, you know, it's, it's just fake numbers kind of thing, right. On a spreadsheet kind of thing most of the time. So, yeah, that's the thing. It, it, it you can't, it's always premised on this idea that you have like objective measurements for all the possible variables and inputs into the system that you're trying to balance properly, but you just, you don't, that's not how it works. We can't measure all, half of the stuff. You just make up some kind of number, you know, and uh, that doesn't really reflect the actual experience of those things or, or whatever. So yeah, I, I guess the th- it's funny because that kind of works on both sides. It does, you know, yeah, yeah. whether whether you're doing the thing of like over determining uh, relevance of your environment and stuff into your behavior, or you're um, or you're downplaying that to the extent where it's all about your personal choices and attitudes and stuff like that. Like the you know the right wing kind of ignores as much of that as possible in order to kind of point to like oh well you know, this guy deserved to die by the cops or whatever, because, uh, he was a drug addict or something, or, you know, these people don't, don't deserve any welfare or what, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it becomes very difficult once you start to think in terms of optimizing for fairness and all that for things that are collective or that people disagree on. So it's like, okay, well, if we wanted an egalitarian society where everyone, you know, their choices didn't really affect whether or not they got a nice life or whatever. Right. And just, you know, and you arranged it all through some sort of special 
socialist system or whatever, right? It's like, okay, well, what is the optimal level of production of society of like churches, you know, or like uh, of uh, books about Islam or something, right? Like it's like you have to have some sort of mechanism in place for people to sort of decide those things proportionally. But everything that's involved in those decisions somehow resolves back to personal choices in some way, right? Like it has to, or and social choices. So it's like, uh, you know, you could say, well, people could just give, like in the, uh, you know, in the Soviet example, it was that, uh, you know, one of their big sort of things was, uh, so priests will only survive on contributions from people kind of thing, like instead of being like a state system or whatever kind of thing. Um, like they'll only get donations to survive or something, right? But it's like, what does a donation mean in a system where, you know, work is more assigned than, it's not, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not really a system set up to be, have charitable aspects to it, really. You know what I mean? Like it's like, well, you know, if, if all land is owned by the state, uh, you know, how much land you assign to uh, churches or something. And the the easy way, obviously, is to ignore this problem. <laughs> but, like, uh, it is one of those things where very, very quickly it becomes a major issue for people that are believers or whatever, you know. And that's not just that's just an example of an extreme thing because it's like, it's you know, the cost of not doing it is extreme to a lot of individuals because they they consider it, like, sacred or whatever. But, like... That's right. Yeah. And then there's the flip side of people who have the exact opposite attitude about it and think it's a complete sure. waste. And and it's not that it doesn't happen like in our existing society, liberal kind of Western societies. It's not like those choices aren't made both collectively and individually, but uh, we do have mechanisms at the very least where that don't work, seem to work very well, but at least, but like people can, you know, have like a church can own a school, they can own land they can own all these different various things that and people kind of give proportionally now it's not that that's more efficient in some way it's just that because obviously you know churches <laughs> in the states whatever like uh have a lot of problems with their how they're managed in different ways right like they they abuse scandals and all that kind of stuff and it, that that very directly affects assets and stuff but um in different ways like how it's organized but like it's like you know how do you I don't know. Uh, to me, this is the kind of thing I start to think of when it's talking about personal responsibility and stuff, because it's like, you know, how do you negotiate those different things if you're looking at from the perspective of overall, you know, how to fix these basic problems in terms of people not having enough money to live and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. For me, I think that I just kind of tend to look at the, the problems and the premise, yeah. you know, yeah. and I kind of think that if we didn't mystify things with this idea that we could just calculate it all perfectly and instead had some more transparent like value system that could be agreed to in a broad sense, then a lot of these things could be at least like yeah. narrowed down a little bit easier. So it's like if we had a, like if we're talking about welfare and things like that, if we had a sense of like, sure, as a society, we believe that it's important that nobody goes hungry or no one goes without a home or a place to stay or whatever. Um, and that we figure that out regardless of what that 
you know, we find a way to do that, right? Like yeah. it doesn't, we, we don't need it to all work out in uh, some sort of like it boils down into like yeah. this, oh, the market, it actually makes sense because of like, you know, the people who don't have these things actually deserve it and all that, you know, or it doesn't need to be like mathematically worked out a lot of the time because it, I mean, it, it can't be first of all, but it, it, you don't really need to do that necessarily. Like I think a lot of times you can just have like some value that you hold and you just kind of say like, this is something we want to accomplish. And then you just get it done in a way that makes sense within, you know, the people that have the resources to kind of figure that out. Right. Like the government and then like various private interests and stuff you know yeah but i i just don't know what the process to get to that point is like what what sort of uh you know because you know people were pointing this out with the amy coney barrett stuff uh with uh, the catholic stuff like liz brunick had an article saying well there's like a death penalty case coming up and uh, catholics are not supposed to you know be involved with the death penalty at all it's just like a basic thing now where pope francis said it's never acceptable or something, right? And so in the first case that she she got, basically that Amy Coney Barrett got, she, uh, she I don't know if she actually voted or whatever, but she basically accepted the uh, execution of someone. Like she, she didn't like say no or whatever, right? Um, and uh, so it's like one of those things where even when you get the people in positions where you're, you know, if, if theoretically it's this idea that, now, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I am saying that most of the time, you know, it's easier to get people to agree on paper than to actually live through their values uh, thing. And then how do you actually account for that then in building policy or whatever, you know, like, I don't know, or pol- political movements at least, or like social movements around how do you change people think about each other and stuff? I don't know. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't really know either. It's interesting, <laughs> yeah. the the thing with with her I assume that she's a fairly cynical actor just given by where she is, but let's say that she isn't and that she actually like, you know, she coheres to the, what the church says about this, like in her personal beliefs and stuff. Yeah. But her position isn't to relay that. Like she's not like a, you know, her, her job isn't to convey her Catholic kind of, uh, views in, into the Supreme court in that kind of direct way. You know what I mean? Her, her job is to interpret the law according to like the, the way that she's been taught that, that, that you do that. And, and, in the methodology that she kind of like follows, you know what I mean? Like she has a, yeah. she, it's more of a technical thing, but I think yeah, from, then, from her perspective, you know, from, from sure, this but, hypothetical. Yeah. But, know. and that's, and that's interesting because then it comes down to the question of personal responsibility in terms of, how much participation in sin are you actually engaging in by, you know, taking on those sorts of roles within society? Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I actually, I said this the other day and then I found out that Dorothy Day said the same thing about JFK. Um, they told her, uh, you know, they told her that Dorothy Day, the Catholic uh, activist that later in her life, whatever, like they told her that, uh, um, JFK had been elected president as like, you know, Catholic. And she said, you know, uh, she basically, she, she said that, uh, it was difficult to imagine 
a Catholic wanting to be president. Like it was, it was difficult to, you know, like that you would just run away or whatever. Like it's just, uh, uh, I don't know. There's something to that. I think that, that, uh, has been lost whatever, where you like, uh, not wanting to put yourself in a position where you would be, uh, affirming bad decisions, whatever. I don't know. So, yeah. It's tricky though, because someone needs to do it and it's better sure. if a yeah. good person does it than a bad person. Yeah, although I think that that sort of logic, uh, I think it's true a lot of the time, which was what makes it tricky. But it's also like, uh, I, I honestly think that everyone in power, and to some extent, I think that the number of people who are like directly just openly evil are very, very small. I think that most people are in a situation where they're like, we're, uh, we're the good ones in this bad organization or something, you know, like, I think that that's a very common view. And that's how like most evil kind of happens. Like, I always thought of it with like, uh, Colin Powell, when I saw him giving the speech at like the UN about, uh, the weapons of mass destruction and all that, where, uh, afterwards, you, you know, he, he very much was like, a you know, critical towards uh the war or whatever you know, you know he he kind of pivoted a bit and it was a sense in the public that like somehow he was the smart man uh that was sort of uh um you know he he thought of himself as basically a rebel within that had to kind of control bush in some way or whatever right and uh, i feel like that sort of mentality of uh um uh another one that i always think of is like gordon brown uh when he was uh he wrote a book after uh, the crisis in uh, Britain when he got like defeated, whatever. Um, and there was like a, I read like a section of it where he says, or maybe it was some other book that some other pamphlet or whatever, but like it was, uh, he was, he was talking about how he was being driven by a, a protest and he saw someone sign that said something like another world is possible, whatever, you know, just one of those generic signs. I mean, it, the, the encounter probably never even happened, whatever, but like, it's just, uh, he kind of said that he said, I wish that they knew that I was fighting for the same things as them or something, you know? And, uh, it, you know, it's, it, I, I see that all the time now after seeing it, those kind of first examples to me, I, I, I see it all the time now, like with Obama and stuff about how, uh, now, and I guess in his new book, he says stuff about how, uh, he, finds he he found it like this he didn't like the cia kill lists whatever that he spent all those hours pouring over and proving all of them he said that like he he found it bad or whatever i don't know there's some comment about that and uh and uh it is one of those things where people just think that of themselves as uh trapped by their situation doing the best they can but it's their participation that pushes things forward i don't know so yeah yeah fucking weasels <laughs> yeah so i don't know that's why i i that's part of i know it's a it is partly ideology but i do think that's why i have that sort of uh you can't win mentality on a lot of the stuff where it's like you know the the participation in the big a lot of the big institutions they're gonna get more out of you than you get out of them kind of thing like you know they'll they'll turn you bad more than you'll be able to turn them good and uh I don't know. That's just, that is a core sort of principle of mine, but, uh, I do understand how that is kind of, it can be used to avoid too. So, yeah, I mean, it is by definition avoiding, but like, you know, it, it can, it can set you up to be in a rut 
even if you're trying in other ways or whatever. And so, yeah. 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 They should have resigned if they had such a problem with it, you know, <laughs> just like, guess what guys, this job is actually, you can't do this without being evil and I'm just going to leave. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think I, I agree with that. Yeah. No, I should. I don't know. Me too. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, Doug Stano passed this thing where he says that like, uh, I can't remember the, the player, but like, uh, there was like a football player in the NFL or something where, uh, he, uh, failed a drug test and, uh, for smoking weed or something. And, uh, instead of, uh, um, in, instead of like being like, Oh no, you know, I gotta, I gotta get clean and all that stuff. He was just basically like, no, I like smoking weed. So I'm quitting. And, uh, yeah. he just, he just walked away. And then, uh, Sanhope said that he should be like sitting in the bleachers on opening day, just smoking a big joint being like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and be like, you know, I'm out of your business now, whatever. I'm not, you know, <laughs> and they're like, Oh, flag on the plane. It's like, that's your, that's your problem. Flag on the play is your problem, not my problem. I got the weed now, whatever kind of thing. I don't know. I like that that kind of attitude, whatever, where it's like, okay, well, we just won't do that then. That's a perfect example of like the kind of personal responsibility that I'm advocating <laughs> for here. Figure out your plan, figure out your goals, put it, you know, and like stay true to them, you know, have confidence in it. Sure. Yeah. Okay, well, hopefully that was a interesting discussion, guys. Hopefully got something out of that. I think it's about time we jump into the questions. What do you think, Don? Sure. All right, so I think we'll start off with this one. Uh, any predictions for what specialized technical terms will be turned into new buzzwords for the winter 2020-spring 2021 catalog? Um, I think people are going to become vaccine experts, uh, very shortly, and I think yeah, we'll be yeah, hearing yeah. a lot of stuff about that. Yeah. Cold. Uh, I was watching some news thing about it. What's what was the term he used? Something like the cold supply chain, or something like that. Because I guess that's like the big deal with the logistics is they have to be like negative ninety five degrees Celsius or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's that's my idea. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good one though. I think that yeah the a lot of the, yeah, the whole medical stuff in the last year has been great for that kind of stuff. Yeah, like where uh, everyone is automatically just, uh, yeah, clued into every aspect of it. You know, it changes all the time. That's, I don't know. But, uh, um, yeah, I think that uh, we'll see a resurgence of a certain type of debate around whether or not deficits matter and stuff like that. Mm. I think that's going to be a big thing. People will be like, uh, there's no reason why the government can't run a huge deficit. And then there'll be other people on the other side being like, actually, uh, you know, it's unsustainable, whatever. And um, and stuff around like taxes and I don't know, the whole fiscal, the get fiscal kind of side of things. I think that that will be a huge part of uh, 2021 and 2022. So, yeah. And I think that that's going to be uh, something to watch where it's like... Uh, People will, you know, I, mean, I don't mean just like in terms of like the flippant responses, they'll actually like dig into it, like the numbers and stuff, but it'll all just be like junk numbers on all, either side. Just like people that are like, have never taken a course in any of it or whatever, never 
read much about it that just sort of like, actually, did you know that we could raise whatever, you know, like just, I don't know. I think, I think we're, we're, uh, heating up for that. So, yeah. Deficit, definitely shit. That's what I say. Damn. <laughs> we should have Mike on to talk about the vaccines whenever there's some information about that that he can parse for us because he knows yeah. all about that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, let's see. I want one like now though. I, I'm starting to get anxious about it. not like anxious, but like antsy. I'm like I'm like forget this. Let, 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 like, give it to me now. I don't know, just as soon as possible. Uh, They'll never get me. I I refuse to be vaccinated. <laughs> if they say yeah. like, well, if you don't get your vaccine, you'll just have to be locked up in here forever. You know, this just like yeah, exactly. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Toronto's going into lockdown again, like full lockdown. Mm. And uh, other than schools, which I thought was a funny wrinkle in the plan. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, the teachers are like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. And they're like, well, people got to work. Mm. Yeah. They, uh, they recently put on like the tier three uh, precautions or whatever in Chicago. They reinstated those, which is what they had back in May, I think. Yeah. Or April. And that means um, just places like museums and stuff are shut down. The schools have been shut down the this whole time. They've been remote. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's where we're at, I guess. Yeah. Um, hey, Tom and Don, now that Oregon and D.C. are ending parts of the war on drugs, is the Biden administration going to use the DEA to crack down on jewels? Meaning... The vape pens, not our beloved friend, Jules D. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, that's a, I feel like that is the kind of thing, though, that, like, I could see, I could see Biden, especially with, like, Bloomberg support and stuff, uh, trying to weasel back into, like, public health measure kind of stuff that has, like, debating points to, like, make it look like they're doing stuff but aren't doing stuff kind of thing, you know, like uh, making it so that like taxes on cigarettes go up a lot or more and stuff or like uh, making it so there's like a federal tax on like certain types of sodas or something like just maybe not like that, but like just just something in that kind of sphere of like ways of being annoying to people to improve their health, like uh, tax credit for home gym stuff or whatever, I don't know. Your student debt is canceled unless you've eaten McDonald's in the past 12 months or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, if the DEA was used to crack down on jewels, that, that would be, I, honestly, that I think is in the realm of, I don't think it's going to happen. Like, I think it's a very low possibility, but there is some logic to that in that, like, the tobacco companies don't like the whole vape stuff. And uh, I could see them kind of pushing some sort of pseudoscience that it's like this is actually so dangerous it's a big health risk and then they they come for your vape pens and then all the QAnon like anti-masker people start getting in really big into like vaping i think that would yeah. be a good addition to their aesthetic repertoire yeah i could see uh yeah i could also see stuff like investing a lot in mental health or something and being like uh we got to invest in mental health but like in a way that like it's like you know, a few billion dollars compared to, you know, letting people that have cancer get like $10,000 bills or something, you know, like just like 
or whatever, like just, you know, I don't know. All, all of this kind of like hell stuff is going to be micro targeted and stuff. So we'll see. They should do all those payments as a single coin that everybody <laughs> gets of whatever the unit of measurement or whatever the amount is going to be. Like you get that specific, a coin that's specifically that amount. Mm-hmm. It's like your, your cancer coin or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. All right. What is the preferred method for dealing with trolls? I make content that I've been promoting across Reddit to build up a following. There's one guy who comments on nearly every single thread I make in a particular subreddit. It is the most profound example of Reddit brain I have ever encountered. The only possible explanation I can think of is that he is actually 14 years old. Could be. Uh, For some reason, I feel a bit reticent about blocking him. Maybe I don't believe in capital punishment, and I think everyone should have the chance to redeem themselves. Should I? Is there some way that I can troll him back? No. Attention is oxygen for uh, trolls. Um, The the truth is that you just got to block and move on. Or ignore them and move on. But you can't... uh, The more that you engage them, it's like like one of those, uh, you know superhero supervillain kind of things where it's like or like some sort of energy energy entity where it's like you the more you fight them the more strong they get kind of thing um so uh yeah you just have to you have to accept it as a cost kind of thing that they just they're out there doing that thing unless i mean you could you could distract them in some way you could maybe direct them to some other thing or whatever or i don't know or pay them off just give them like 50 bucks or something and tell them to go away i think you yeah that approach is what you need to do 90 percent of the time if this is if this is already a question then there's not a way to like troll him back because you're not going to be able to think on your feet enough to really do it effectively i think if if you come up with some sort of counter like if you find some angle to this just almost like instinctively or reflexively when you see him doing whatever he's doing and you just have like, if if you can find fun in it, then you can troll him back because it, it's to me it's all about like who's having more fun doing this stupid thing. Sure. And if, if they aren't having more fun than you, if you're both having fun, then that's great. But like if if, if usually it's kind of like a zero sum thing where it's like you're it's fun because the other person's upset. Yeah. Um. So if you if you can find that there, then you're good to go and you just pursue that. But if you're kind of asking us this question, it kind of seems like that's not really going to happen. So yeah, I kind of, I would advise the, uh, just kind of block it and move on kind of thing. Now there's, there's another wrinkle where it's like, okay, well, if it's just some random putts, then that's one thing. But if this guy's like a moderator or something, or like some sort of, you know, like if he he has some sort of clout on Reddit, then it's like it might become, there's a chance it becomes a no advertising is bad advertising. Uh, kind of thing where you could just bother them uh, and cause a scene and then causing a scene would bring more people to your content creation or something. So, um, uh, you know, polarizing the audience and then uh, drawing them in, um, that can help. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. That that would be, ex- yeah, that would follow the kind of thing that I was talking yeah. about of like sure. making it more fun. Yeah. But yeah, unless, I- yeah. If he's just saying shitty things or whatever, like, I don't know. You, sh- you shouldn't let it bother you too much. Sure. Yeah. You know, um, it, he's replying to your post. That's good. Like, you don't really need to care what, what it says. Yeah. 
All right. How would you guys convert the OK Boomer Girl to your respective religions? Um, I don't really know much about her, so it's hard to get specific about that. I think she's like Latina or something. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, there's no real super easy angle for that for Islam. Maybe she's probably already Catholic, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah, probably. (laughs) Or like, uh, you know, more likely uh, one of those strange Pentecostal religions, whatever. Like where it's like, uh, I don't know, she like has to fight a snake every time she goes to church or something. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, does Um, does does that little dance to the snake and hypnotizes it? Sure. Yeah, um, hmm. I don't know. I guess it. I guess it would also depend if you would want to cynically convert them, or sincerely convert them. Because cynically convert them, you could you could get them to do something like that uh, classically Abby person, the uh, Ben Shapiro sister. Um, oh, sure. Where it's like, you know, she could be like, uh, you got to read the Bible because it's cool or whatever, you know, and then rake money off of that. If if like uh, the thought market was too crowded then like that might make sense. But like, uh, um, I don't know. She seems to be doing pretty well for herself. Otherwise, I don't know what the, why she would do that. So I guess, you know, and you don't want to like leave with shame or something. You don't want to like Hector her into, uh, yeah, no, that, that doesn't work. I guess I could pretend to be from the tourism department of the UAE or something and get her to start doing like, you know, like pro Dubai, like, oh, Dubai is so much fun. There's so much shopping there and all that, you know, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And then maybe she would visit and just be so taken with the beauty of that that city, the skyscrapers yeah. in the middle of nowhere and the, you know, the South Asian slaves living in the sh- shipping containers and the caravans of like toilet waste and stuff. Yeah. And uh, she would just, you know, would just strike her heart and she would just immediately convert. Sure. This happened before. It sounds like a plan. Uh, okay, let's see here. Oh, boy. Uh, this says, as a woman, as a feminist and communist, oh, geez, the thought of just wearing female clothing, makeup, stylizing hair, and overall appearance, transforming a man into a woman, in quotes, is absolutely disgusting and insulting as is the possibility that there is some kind of, quote, female brain in a man's body that makes him fet and conforming to the bourgeois patriarchal views of what is to be a woman. Just a ridiculous way of reinforcing those patriarchal norms that enslave women for generations. You can be a fucking tranny if you want. Just don't have the balls to call yourself a woman or proceed with the make-believe that the idealist bullshit called queer theory is some kind of great revolutionary or progressive moment movement. What do you guys think about this? All right. Well, that's a very cookie. It seems very cookie cutter, like turfy kind of thing. Yeah. Which makes me think that this person doesn't truly believe this. But yeah, it also seems pretty impassioned and like could be sincere. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the level of detail and, uh, Passion is actually uh, symptomatic, though. It, it seems pretty, uh, like, you know, once you got that t- that much energy around it, there's something going on there. I don't know. There's, yeah, uh, I, 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 
it's easy for me to say as a guy who doesn't care about any of this stuff, but like, seems like you might want to just calm down a bit. It's not really harming you, really. I don't know. Is is it really hurting anyone for them to do this? You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like. I don't buy into that kind of stuff, but I don't really care if other people are doing that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess it's it's not doesn't affect me. So as far as like the actual arguments around that go, like I I don't know. Like I I can kind of see where this person is coming from, but it it. It gets into territory where just as soon as like I'm, it's like a rocket launching and it enters the atmosphere where it's like in the agreement zone and then it really quickly exits. And then I'm like, okay, I don't know what this is about anymore. So, but that's fine. You know, you do your thing. I got nothing against it. Uh, Calling people trannies, I guess that's like a no, no these days. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good idea. Um, okay. When will Tom admit that he is on the Jews pocket all the way? Well, you just outed me, but that's right. Um, I'm here to kind of, to validate the claims that there's anti-Semitism run rampant in the United States. Yeah. I'm not sure what to add to that. I don't know. (laughs) I, uh, I don't know. I, it's funny because, uh, I, you know, in, on the online, um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of debates about this in the last week or two. Um, a lot of people getting really, really passionate about uh, left anti-Semitism and all that kind of stuff. And um, it got really like bizarre, a lot of it. And uh, there's a lot of people that are just like, obviously just like acting out kind of thing, like just, just directly like not uh, acting in a healthy way. But then it's kind of like, I don't know, it ends up becoming this weird debate back and forth and stuff where it's just like, I don't know. It's just, so it's funny because I was like, uh, I was thinking to myself, I can only, I should only comment about this kind of stuff so often so that people don't think I'm some sort of terrible bigot or something. And uh, because, you know, anytime that there's like a prevailing debate, my instinct is to make fun of the debate uh, as many times as I can and then just kind of let it float away or whatever in my mind kind of thing. Uh, I did that a few times. I was like, you know, just telling jokes about it. And then it was funny because I just kept doing it, even though I know I I knew that like, you know, uh, you know, ideally, uh, from a career perspective or something, you don't want, you know, oh oh, I just opened up my new Jacobin and it has this guy in it. I'm gonna look him up, and uh, <laughs> or something, you know, like uh, I'm gonna look him up, and it's me being like uh, telling like ten jokes about anti-Semitism or something like that. But like. Uh, I don't know. I uh, that that's my compulsion, I guess, is to be annoying about these sorts of things. So yeah, yeah. I found it really annoying. Um, I haven't really been looking at Twitter much, but I did the other day, and it was just like immediately you reminded that like a good thirty percent of the people that have all these takes and stuff are Jewish, and then yeah. you give them an give them an excuse to talk about Judaism, and that's all they're going to do for a week. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, just shut up. Yeah, <laughs> I can't yeah. take it. But yeah, I, uh, I don't know. It's it's funny. I I I, I get like sucked down uh, rabbit holes on this kind of stuff because I I read a lot of like the like 
I try to read some of the different like interfaith kind of debates and uh, and it there's always like bizarre takes that people have about like red lines and stuff around uh, uh, different religious debates and stuff where um, I, I don't know it's been in the news a lot that kind of stuff where the line between self-conceptions of Judaism and what other people are allowed to think about uh, Jewish people and stuff kind of thing. Like it just becomes this very strange kind of thing where it's like, uh, you know, like there's a lot of uh, right-wing Zionists that say stuff like, you know, you have to believe in Israel to be Jewish, whatever, right? Like, I mean, like you have to, to be, you know, they they conflate the two, whatever, right? Yeah, right. There's a lot of Zionism and Judaism. yeah. Yeah. And then there's a lot of people that on the left generally who say that that's not true or whatever, but it's interesting how uh, a lot of that debate ends up really being about self-conceptions, right? Yeah, like which internal. is what makes it so tiresome. Yeah. That's what is so annoying about it. <laughs> but it, it's funny because uh, this is what ends up kind of happening with a lot of the debates around Christianity and uh, it's more Christianity. The theory behind it does influence Islam in some way, but the debate ends up being like, around stuff like messianic Jews and stuff where it's like people that claim that they're Jewish and also are Christian or something. Right. Or some other iteration of that kind of combination, whatever of those kind of traits, whatever, where people that say, okay, I, uh, you know, I think of myself as Jewish. Um, but I believe in Jesus or something like that kind of thing. Right. Or, you know, anyway, anyways, uh, the debate ends up being that there's lots of people that will say that that's anti-Semitic because, you know, you can't be Jewish and thing. But it's interesting because it's like, but it's anti-Semitic from the perspective of Judaism, right? But obviously, the, if the person sincerely believes that, if they sincerely believe that they are Jewish and Christian or whatever, it can't be, you know what I mean? Like, this, there's there's some sort of ideological problem there where... um. It, it can't. It necessarily can't be the case that everyone holds the same self conception of Judaism as Jewish people. You know, like any religion that is in competition with another religion, at some level, there has to be some sort of agreement that there's an error from some sort of perspective or something. I find that fascinating as like an ideological thing, just the way that I think about this kind of stuff. But like, it's just true. It is basically true that like. You know, from a Jewish perspective, you'd have to be like, okay, well, we're a certain people given the law that we have to follow. Other people don't have to follow it, but we do because we're in a special kind of position. There might be other religions, whatever, that are relevant for them, but we're the, you know, chosen people in that sense, whatever. That's interesting, but um, it's necessarily the case that other religions have to have a different conception of what that means for them, right? So... I find yeah. that interesting. So, yeah, because yeah. you see that constantly with stuff like uh, um, uh, Passover. So there's Christians, fun, like usually Protestants in the States that celebrate Passover. Um, you know, they do all the rituals involved in that for, in the Jewish religion. And it always becomes like a bunch of viral threads denouncing this, saying that you shouldn't do it because it's anti-Semitic basically because you're you're basically borrowing from it's like cultural appropriation, but it's also 
it's supersessionism is what they call it because it's like you're saying that the Jewish people don't even have to exist really because you're doing it yourself. So you're just kind of tokenizing them in a way, but you're also saying that like we have taken over their culture and therefore, you know, we don't have to negotiate with them. And that can be true, but it's only true if it's not true. You know what I mean? Like it's only true if the person doesn't believe that God really wants them to do it. You know, like if, if the Protestant is doing the Passover thing because they think that God requires them to do it, then in their self-conception, it's true that they're being required to do it, right? Right, right. But from the Jewish perspective, they're saying that's wrong because we don't believe that. And it's like, yeah, but it's not about you in that case, right? It's, it's Yeah, exactly. They're, so, not, they're not following the, your religion. They're doing their thing. Yeah. So that's that's a really interesting contradiction there because uh I like I agree with their impulse. I agree with the impulse that like you shouldn't be doing that necessarily, but um it's interesting how it becomes this viral thing in a way that you can't accept that it's just that there's other religions that might have adopted certain some like the practice or whatever, you know? So I don't know, I find that fascinating. So yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Sure. Um, is Don the biggest celebrity living in Oshawa? Oshawa? Is that? What Oshawa. is that? Yeah. So that was where I was born. Oh, okay. Um, it's about, you know, some 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 distance west of me. I, I don't actually live in Oshawa anymore. But like, uh, yeah, I was born in Oshawa General Hospital. Uh, it, it's basically like it was for a while. Canada's Detroit, basically, like it's the the motor capital of Canada, basically. Um, it was at least, and uh, um, yeah. So it's a uh, it's like a distant. It's not distant anymore, really, but it was like a distant suburb of uh, Toronto, and uh, it's pretty big. I don't know. I think it's like hundred thousand people or more. Two hundred thousand, maybe. I don't know. Any um, other notable people from there? Uh, Shalom Harlow, the model. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so it was the big GM plant. And that was what the uh, they're they're rebuilding something there with the plant, but like or trucks. But it used to be just an enormous um, industrial center. So yeah. Okay, so I just looked that person up. I guess she's probably more famous than you. So yeah. So. All right. Well, you got number two. Sure. It's not bad. It's also where they filmed part of uh, a bunch of movies, but I think Happy Gilmore, maybe. I don't know. Something like that. Oh, cool. So that counts. That counts as being famous. Yeah. So, okay. So you're number three after Shalom sure. Harlow mm-hmm. and Happy Gilmore. Sure. All right. Okay. Let's, uh, you want to wrap up with this next one? Sure. Okay. So this will be our last one here. I'm glad you guys haven't done an episode where the funny host is sick or in LA because as far as I'm concerned, you're both the funny host. So uh, that's a nice thing to say. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Although, yeah, I mean, I do sometimes think when people listen after, uh, you know, maybe seeing us joke online or something and they hear us talk about like interfaith and like personal responsibility and stuff that they'd be like, wait, why aren't there more jokes or whatever? But like, uh, um, I don't know. I think that it's, it's better this way in the long haul kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, so we do chat we, back and forth instead of, uh, try to, uh, dial up the goof. 
Right. We we make jokes when it's like it's like a normal conversation. I don't know. It's not. I think people get it. Mm-hmm. We we make jokes when it makes sense to make a joke. So we're not trying hard to do any particular thing. Sure. Um, but anyways, that'll wrap up the episode. Um, thanks for listening, guys. And if you'd like a second episode every week, you can subscribe to the Patreon, and you'll get that as well as access to our Discord, where you can chat with us in our lovely community. And you can find a. And if you'd like to send questions, you can find the link to our Curious Cat pinned to the podcast Twitter account, which is at You Can't Win Pod. And uh, yeah, that's where you, where you can send questions that we will answer on the episodes. So hope you enjoyed this one, and we'll catch you again next week. Thanks, guys. You can't win.